0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks, and welcome to episode 215 of my podcast beekeeping short and sweet summer is approaching fast and I'm preparing colonies for the main nectar flow of the year listen in to find out how things are going short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me i'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by simon the beekeeper making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone simon the beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible along with a super fast delivery service the bees won't wait so their customers don't have to either visit the website at uk. Hi everyone, another mad busy week flies by and we're really getting stuck into the beekeeping season full gas as they say in cycling circles. Welcome back to the podcast, I trust you're all well and having another enjoyable week with your bees. Our early season work is all but over now, extraction is complete, all but I guess four or five supers Uh, we've taken most of them off but there are still four or five to go and we've extracted everything leaving the honey room smelling very sweet but in the usual sticky mess that follows the extraction and that's going to need some attention over the next week or so everything will be washed down and dried kit will be moved out of the honey room so I can wash the floor and get it spotlessly clean again in readiness for the summer extraction in August. Doesn't sound very far away now and my goodness it gets the pulse racing when you think about what's to come. A short sprint through the summer and then we'll be preparing all of our colonies for the long challenge of the autumn and winter months. There's an awful lot of work to get through before we get to that point though and it's already started as we prepare our colonies for the summer nectar flow. Preparations have been underway for some time really. When you think back to my plans I always knew we wanted to be at a particular point as we hit June and for the most part I think we're on track. The splitting of colonies in the spring whilst it reduced the amount of spring honey we were able to produce it does mean that we are pretty close to the 200 plus colonies mark. As with most things in beekeeping there have been some disappointing results mixed in with the successes and I think it's important to share these with you. Things don't always go according to plan in beekeeping I'm sure you're aware and you have to be prepared to make adjustments and change plans accordingly that's where I find myself right now. A few kinks in the road have appeared and we're tackling them head on. Here's what's been happening. First off we've had one site that's really struggled with the splits that we carried out in early May. This particular apiary we call the railway and housed 13 or 14 honeypaw langstroth hives. Splits were carried out using the vertical splitboard method not too different to the Demery method really and of all these splits just a couple have successfully produced new laying queens. The others have either failed outright with queens never emerging from queen cells had emergence but queens failed to mate and return or mated returned and then became drone layers. The great thing about doing this podcast is it forces me to sit down and think about what I'm going to share with you and for that I have to really delve deep into what's been happening to try to give you a true picture of our story. Regarding these failed splits I can only think that it's all down to the location. We have several sites within three or four miles of each other here and each of the other locations were also apiaries that had colonies split at the same time using the same method and these all had far better success rates than this one particular location. The site is quite exposed at the bottom of a slight incline. I wouldn't really call it a hill, not even a slope, but the winds when cold do tend to blow straight down to the bees. This has to be the reason. I can't think of anything else that it could be colonies weren't treated in any other way to the other apiary splits and the only major difference is the location. The upshot of this is splits that should now be full of brood are hopelessly queenless and need to be either united with other colonies or have new queens introduced and to be honest I don't have any queens immediately available. Just to compound the issue at this particular apiary we have another challenge in that several colonies have developed chronic bee paralysis virus. In fact, there are five colonies that now show confirmed signs and symptoms. It's something of a disaster for this apiary and I'll be following through with my commitment to cull any colony that has the virus in order to try to save other colonies from contracting it. But the upshot and the main point here is that instead of having doubled up at this apiary, We've gone from around 13 colonies to just 10 Queenwright colonies to go to the borage this summer. There were always going to be some challenges thrown at me this year and I'll take it on the chin, clear up the mess and look to build again. With all the various locations inspected and colonies assessed I think we're in a position to say we'll possibly have 150 production colonies ready for the summer nectar flow. If I can average 35 kilos of honey per hive for this year, then I'll be very happy indeed. So, the problems that I face and the challenges that are being thrown at me are not really too terrible. Before we get to that point, I just need a couple of more weeks of nervous checking to make sure that we don't have any spurious swarm cells popping up anywhere. This then is part of my colony preparation checklist to ready colonies for the summer. Firstly, are they queen right? This is easy enough in most cases. Check for eggs and brood in all stages. If you have those, then generally everything is well in the colony. It's not always the case, of course. Sometimes you can see eggs and brood, but maybe the queen's laying pattern might not be great. Eggs laid in a kind of sporadic haphazard manner. That's never a good sign. What we're looking for here is a nice slab of capped brood with a little open brood around the outer edge and maybe a few eggs as well. If the colony ticks that box we can have a look for food. Do they have enough food to see them through the next couple of weeks? It's surprising just how quickly a colony can go from well fed to near starvation between inspections. I've had it happen to a couple of colonies just in this past week. If they have enough stores the next check is how many frames of brood. Back to basics here for a moment. Worker honeybees as you all know take 21 days to emerge as adults from the egg being laid so I'm constantly thinking 21 days ahead. Any workers laid this week won't emerge for three weeks. That's the first week of July, right at the beginning of the flowering period for many of our summer nectar plants and certainly bang in the middle of the brambles flowering. As the weeks tick by from this point onwards the available forage will peak and diminish fairly quickly. That's specifically thinking about where we are, the wildflower forage and also importantly the borage and the pumpkins. What I really need now are active, vigorous queens laying in every available cell to produce the largest number of foragers throughout July. These then are what I call my Premier League production colonies, actually that's the first time I've ever called them that, but you get my meaning. The strongest, healthiest, productive colonies that I have. And as I said, I think I maybe have 150 in that general state. Some are stronger than others, but most are getting bigger by the day and should be in a position to fill boxes with honey from, well, any time now really. The other colonies that are ranked as less productive are going to be okay, just not as vigorous and although they may produce some honey, I'm not expecting much from them at all. I have a number of colonies that are totally broodless, as I mentioned, and although these may well now have laying queens, potentially, or if perhaps I can get some new queens into them, they're still not going to build as strongly as the others, and probably fall into the current category of the lower leagues of honey production. There may well be some merit in following an early summer equalization program, perhaps taking a single frame of brood from the very strongest and donating it to maybe the weaker medium-sized colonies to bring them up to promotion contenders maybe to continue the sporting leagues theme. If I have maybe 50 really strong colonies and I take one frame of sealed brood from each, it means that I can maybe help other colonies move from average production to above average production without a corresponding drop in production from those other bigger colonies. It's Something that I'm going to have to think about. So with time running out to build strong colonies for the summer and having one apiary misbehave I'm feeling pretty good about the position we find ourselves in. It would have been nice to have had a few more developing splits but overall it's not too bad. The next big task is to prepare colonies to move them to the pollination sites. It's not overly complicated to be honest but it is time consuming and of course needs to be done overnight. Hives are strapped down ready to lift onto the truck or trailer and then we just have to sit and wait. Well go away and come back later that evening. Of course moving the bees now coincides with the longest days of the year and it seems some of the warmest of the year so far. Again it means we have to wait for the colonies to stop flying later in the evening and also use travel screens on some colonies that are very large. Sunday evening we'll see the first move. I don't suppose we'll get colonies loaded until probably gone 10pm and it's about a two hour drive so it's going to be the start of some very long days. All in all, I think we'll be making six to eight trips by the time we get all of the colonies moved, along with the huge number of supers that I'm hoping we're going to need. I'm instantly reminded that fuel costs are at an all-time high, so we'll try to make these moves as efficient as possible. One of the outcomes of growing the business is the inevitable increase in costs, not just fuel, but all the other sundry bits and pieces that you need to have, I've moved from the normal thin straps that I previously used to hold hives in place on the back of the truck and trailer to 50 mil wide 5 ton haulage straps and while these are quite expensive to buy new I'm now feeling a lot more comfortable with the ability of our straps to hold the load securely while we move them. The straps were much needed but another cost but what costs safety and peace of mind, I guess, when you're moving valuable beehives around the country. I'll report back next week and let you know how we got on with the first move. Changing the subject, I was bottling some oilseed rape honey a week or so ago and was asked how I stopped it from granulating in the jar when I'm selling it. The small number of stockists that we have like to put runny honey on the shelf that will stay runny for a reasonable period of time before granulating and these can become a challenge when all you have is oilseed rape honey. Its higher glucose to fructose ratio causes it to granulate freely, and it can sometimes have large crystals forming as soon as it's in the jar and you've turned your back on it. A number of years ago, quite a number of years ago now, I was contemplating taking the BBKA, that's the British Beekeeping Association, the BBKA modules, and during one meeting a discussion about honey and the temperatures used to liquefy and strain it threw up some very interesting information. Honey and the various temperatures used, for example, to liquefy it for soft-set honey, or prior to seeding, are fairly specific, and if you know them, you can manage the processing of your honey with the minimum fuss, and importantly, the minimum of damage to the honey. All of this is vitally important to us beekeepers, less so it seems to stockists and the general public. I can feel an education program is required here or maybe public information broadcast about why you shouldn't overheat honey. However the simple fact is that generally the public and therefore the stockists want runny honey to be clear and runny regardless of the effects on the honey itself. Is this a result of what consumers see on the shelves of our major supermarkets maybe however it's what they want so we try to give them clear runny honey and a little dose of education whenever possible anyway back to temperatures if you can heat your jars of honey accurately to around 62 degrees celsius for one hour and then rapidly cool it you end up with what's described as shelf life honey for the small number of customers that want this i use our appy melter Which can be controlled to within a degree or two, or our domestic oven, and once again, it can be held at that temperature. Once you get it to that temperature, keep it there for an hour, and then it goes outside in the winter or into a chest freezer into the summer to cool rapidly, and that's really important. The result is that the honey has a delayed granulation effect for a good number of weeks, if not months. But please remember, don't put hot honey into your domestic freezer with all of your frozen food it will end in disaster use a dedicated freezer for honey frames and beer and on that note it's time for me to go get a cold one have a great beekeeping week I'll have more updates tips and techniques for you next time and remember I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet